You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast with Mike and Mike. How are you, sir? How D? Doing good this week? I am. I'm a little less Western. That's good. Well, your auntie is coming to visit today. Right, because, yeah, we're still in that classic film sort of area. Like, you know, we're not enough. Uh, summer movies aren't enough for us. We have to go, actually, to classic movies as well. So Exactly. You know. But it's been an interesting ride, that's for sure. From Butch and Sundance to something that's not very butch at all. No, definitely not. And it's going to be interesting to do. And to help us talk about Auntie Mame is Darren. So he will be joining us in a little bit and joined by Sabrina. And it should be a lot of fun to talk all about it. It's going to be a fun episode, I think. I think it's always a great time when we get Darren up here. And you never know what's going to come out of his mouth anyway. So it's true. So it should be interesting to do, but we definitely want to hear from you guys at home. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. Also, you know, as always, we'd like to say thank you and hi to all our patrons. And you could become a patron of the ESO Network, too. I know we just posted just recently an Earth Station 1 bonus episode of our panel at the Atlanta Comic-Con where we talked all about the Marvel MCU and coming what's next. I felt bad a little bit about posting that one actually, Mike, because, you know, the week after almost all our theories were blown. What yeah, we talked we about really, we should have really released that like a, like sooner than that. Like we should have released it like right after we did it. Yeah. The day after. So we, so don't, we don't look at like, I mean, some of the things we said were actually on the nose. Oh, yeah, Mike Faulkner actually got the whole thing about the Mandarin right. It was actually pretty awesome. So, you, But if you want to hear from that one, it is pretty cool because, you know, you could become a patron too for as little as 25 cents a week. You can help support the ESO Network, and Earth Station One is a proud member of the ESO Network. So pretty cool. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. You know, that's all you have to do. Pretty awesome. And thank you, everyone who has been doing that. We love you. Mwah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's get into this week's Rants and Raves, where we talk about what's on our mind. Mikey, what do you got? Well, uh, you know, last uh, we talk, we've been talking about a lot about classic movies lately. And uh, it's something that I can still, you know, I never get tired of talking about. Um, one of, I think I mentioned before, that uh, Turner Classic Movies is one of my default channels that I go to because I just... Uh, love classic movies so much. And um, uh, I've noticed that there's some reasons for that. And we can get into that maybe if you like. But one of the things that right now, what Turner Classics Movies is doing. Okay, so there's three months out of the year where Turner Classic Movies is exceptionally cool. Uh, October, because they're showing a lot of classic horror movies. A ton of classic horror movies, which uh, include all the Universal movies and the Hammer movies, which is awesome. Uh, and then in February, they're really cool because they do 31 Days of Oscars. So it's all movies that have won. They're showing all movies that have won Oscars or Academy Awards at some point. And that's pretty impressive. So you know that some really good, good classic movies are being shown at that month. 
And not that they stink any other time, but um, uh, in, in August, what they do is they do a, a feature called Summer Under the Stars. And starting on August 1st, they devote uh, 24 hours to a particular star. Uh, like, for example, August 1st was Henry Fonda. So they showed 24 hours from 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. the next day, Henry Fonda movies. Uh, on August 2nd, it was Ruth Hussey. On August 3rd, it was Marlon Brando. On August 4th, it was Shirley Temple, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, if you're a fan of these folks, it's a great way to catch uh, movies that they've uh, starred in, some of the which that you might not have known. It's also cool because they'll they go over. I mean, certainly they go over the big names. You know, as I mentioned, Brando you can't get too much bigger than that. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, Humphrey Bogart, uh, Fred Astaire. You know, obviously, um, uh, it's interesting. They've got two stars on here that make me feel kind of old. Uh, one of which is Shirley MacLaine, and the other is Dustin Hoffman. Because I'm, I don't usually regard those as classic movie stars. Really? <laughs> I mean, they, they made movies during my lifetime. Usually I think of classic movie stars as, uh, you know, making movies in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. So would you not count like Henry Fonda now as, because he, he did On Golden Pond while you were alive. Yeah, but he also started in like the 30s. I mean, Henry I Fonda was in the 30s, 40s. I'm not saying that, like, the bulk of Henry, Henry Fonda's, like, peak was in the 40s and the 50s. True. Uh, sure, he made movies after that. And so did, so did Brando. So did, you know, a lot of these people. But their heyday was, I mean, Dustin Hoffman didn't do, like, anything in the 40s and 50s. You know, no, he was he, a baby then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Shirley MacLaine, a little bit older. I think she was uh, started in the fifties. So, but most of, I think her like major stuff comes in the seventies and eighties. Same thing with Hoffman. So it's just kind of interesting to see. Um, And last month they were doing a sci-fi sort of theme and star Wars. They showed star Wars and they showed Eternal classic movies show star Wars and they showed star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan. And so now I'm getting, it's sort of like the classic music stations, right? Where you're like, you listen to them as a kid and they were playing like, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s songs. And I'm maybe not 40s songs because uh, I don't think the radio that we had played 40s tracks. Um, but certainly like 50s and 60s tracks where it played on the classic. Now you tune in the classic station and it's 80s. And now even 90s is considered classics. Oh, Nirvana is known as a classic rock band now. And I and I certainly don't want this to turn into like, you know, two old men yelling at clouds because we're like, oh, these are old. Um, but my point is, and I think I was, uh, you know, I think I personally think that, uh, and I think we kind of mentioned this a little bit with uh, last week when we were talking about movies, but there's something... There's something magical. One of the reasons why I like watching Turner classic movies and why I'm really into like film noir right now is, and, and, you know, we're talking about, we talked about Butch and Sundance last week. We're talking about anti-mame this week. There's something really magical and sort of timeless about uh, some of these movies. Not all of them to be sure. Not all, everything that was made back then is classic and not everything was a great example of things, but there's a difference. I I'm, I I'm able 
to sort of watch these movies with a little bit, like they feel more magical to me. Oh, of course. And I think it's because there's a couple of reasons. I think it's because a there, there's a timelessness to them that at least the good ones that kind of takes me away. And even though I'm not watching it on the big screen in the theater that I'm not experiencing in today's movies, uh, the filmmaking is a little different. Right. Uh, the um, acting, uh, the performances are, are usually left up to the actors, not the editors in classic movies. Uh, there's a lot less editing. There's some shots that just stay there. Uh, like with a musical, like you'll have just a static camera shot and you'll see Fred Astaire or whoever perform these numbers uh, that are just amazing and they're doing it in one take. Um, and it's a long take and it allows you to watch these actors perform to the best of their talents rather than just cut, 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 cut like today's movies. Um, I also think too, because I don't know, like, like with movies today, usually I know a little bit more about them because of the internet, because of trailers, et cetera, et cetera. So I know what to expect going in. Or at least I have, make, I have certain expectations going in. A lot of times when I turn in a classic movie, like if I'm watching something like Jimmy Stewart's in that I'm not familiar with, like a movie called The Mortal Storm, so to speak, or uh, one that I just tuned in the other day, like Naked Spur, I have no idea what that is. Now, I could do some research and look at like trailers and stuff like that for that. And I could look at Wikipedia and look at the write-ups. But if I'm just like, oh, Jimmy Stewart's in Naked Spur, let me tune in. I don't know what that, if it's going to be a comedy or if it's going to be a drama or, you know, whatever. I mean, I imagine it's going to be a Western, but I just have no idea what I'm in for. And so I'm allowing that movie to just take me on a trip that I'd have no idea what's coming next, which is just something I think that's really cool about these, like watching, investing in these classic movies rather than going and seeing like, you know, the new Godzilla movie. Cause I have a pretty good idea what that's going to be. Of course, a lot of times when these movies came out, they didn't have like all the websites and everything to like spoil what this movie was about. You kind of maybe read in the movie review that was in the New York Times or the local paper, Jimmy Stewart in a new thriller, but you didn't really know what it was about. Well, if you watch a a lot of the trailers from those times, though, they give away the whole movie. (laughs) Some of them, yes. (laughs) They're like, you know, and then this character and then this, and they tell you the whole plot and everything. So sometimes it's like, it's kind of, uh, yeah. I mean, people talk about trailers of today, but if they look at back at the trailers, like from the forties and fifties, I mean, they were pretty much telling everybody what the, a lot of the plots in these movies anyway. So there, that was, that was true. But, uh, I'm curious, uh, because, you know, we all have certain folks that we, we like a lot. Um, are there any classic stars? And we're talking about like thirties, forties, fifties, maybe getting in the sixties. Are there any stars that you particularly gravitate to male or female? Well, from the old era of film, there's tons that I do loved, you know, Jimmy Stewart, his movies were always just amazing. And I just don't, you know, mean the Christmas one because, you know, he did (laughs) other movies than that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, that guy made a ton of movies. Oh, of course. You know, I also like, you know, of course, Danny Kay was always great in a lot of his movies that he did. Also loved seeing 
you know, a lot of Charlton Heston or, you know, actors like that were just always awesome. You know, it was just always neat to see, you know, Paul Newman, like we talked about last week or Robert Redford, you know, my parents, you know, my dad looked very similar when he was younger to Robert Redford. So I was always curious to see what Robert Redford looked like in his movies, you know, so you saw, you know, Barefoot in the Park and, you know, you know, Jeremiah Johnson and, you know, stuff like that. It was just always great to see the movies he did. And he was a great, great actor. And, you know, Steve McQueen movies or, you know, have to go into the Bond movies. Those are now classics, you know, especially the early ones. And that was just kind of cool about it. You know, you have all these different movies that and actors and actresses that just chewed up the scenes where they were bigger than light. You had Humphrey Bogart in African Queen. It's just, it's like awesome stuff. And you see these actors and actresses, you know, just acting their hearts out and they made it look so easy. And it was just, like you said, timeless. Yeah, I also because these I movies mean, could take place any time. And and you know, this is during the, the the studio system where the studios had so much control over not I mean the these actors and what they did, but also what people knew about them. I mean, there was no internet, so that the people the way that you know fans found out about a particular actor. It was through the newspaper, to the magazines, to what they, the newsreels that they saw, the radio. And the studio controlled all of that. And so that, you know, what you saw as a fan of these actors were basically a character that these actors were playing. They, sometimes they were pretty close to the real person, but more more often they were, you know, just set up, you know, because we, how many times do we, how many people have we figured out like, oh, well, that one, you know, like Rock Hudson and, and it was gay and there were other actors. There's another one I'm trying to think of too, that uh, Anthony Perkins is another one uh, that were gay, but the studio didn't want that to get out. So, you know, they had, they had created like these social lives for them, who they were dating, sometimes who they married you know, that kind of thing. And they arranged all that stuff. And, and so in a lot of ways, these actors became like characters and larger than life and have sort of a romantic image to them. Unlike stars today, that's because stars today are just tweeting. And sometimes you're like, Oh, they seem really accessible because you, you know, they're sharing your tweets or sometimes they respond to you through social media or, you know, sometimes they just say really stupid things. And you're like, well, that's, you know, that's, that's just so-and-so doing. Exactly. So I think that there, I think that's a little bit, that's, that's the mystique as well of that, that, that time frame. Well, exactly. And part of the other, you know, that whole time frame, you had a lot of the gossip rags and such, but you didn't have it to the extent where these people didn't have private lives. And they did have, you know, that's why the studios were able to create these like identities and such to hide that so-and-so was homosexual or this so-and-so was a drunk or so-and-so, you know, was, you know, had, you know, a death wish going and, you know, stuff like that. You didn't have the media following them left and right like you do now. And 
it's it's just interesting to see what a difference this makes. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's they were they were re, they were true stars in the sense of the word that I don't think exists now. And back then, a a star could make or break a movie. I don't know that that's true now. I mean, you know, you look at the box office and the movies that are coming out now. How many people are going to the movies because of a particular actor or actress? Nine times out of ten, they're going because it's part of a franchise. It's a sequel. It's it's the story. It's something else. It's something, you know, not, uh, you know, there aren't very many actors that, you know, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you know, Brad Pitt and... Um, Leonardo DiCaprio are probably two of the biggest, highest paid, whatever you want to call it, actors working today. And yet their movie is barely making the top 10 of the summer. We'll probably not make the top 10 of the year. And it's getting good reviews for the most part. It's not a bad movie. Um, And yet they don't have, they're not, they're not, package like brando was or jimmy stewart or kirk douglas or bogart you know oh no not at all and that's the interesting thing about it it's going to be fun to see you know will hollywood reinvent itself you know with so much other media outlets and such could we get back to someday having the big stars like we did at one time or is it going to be more of any schmo out there could be the big, you know, the toss of the town, a Kardashian or a Kanye or whatever. Cause you know, you, you don't have, you know, the royalty like you did. And if, it was interesting, a friend of mine and I were talking about this probably about six months ago, the Oscars are almost boring to watch because the Oscars used to be, you had Jack Nicholson sitting in the front row and you had the royalty of Hollywood in the audience and you used to see them come up to stage and people were like, Oh my God, that's John Wayne. That's, you know, so-and-so that's, you know, you know, Marlon Brando. That's, you know, it's just, it's just awesome to think about, who was up there and, or, Oh, I just saw, you know, you know, you saw, you know, all these different actors and actresses in the audiences and when they panned and everything, now it's like, Oh, you know, there's Brad and Angelina, you know, Oh, there's so-and-so, you know, oh, there's Borat. Oh, there's so-and-so from one of the Marvel movies. It's just like, yeah, it doesn't just have the same feel. It doesn't feel special. Cause like growing up in my family, that was an event was watching the Academy Awards all together. For me, it was for the longest yeah. time. And I still kind of get caught in that trap. Although I must admit watching it now is not nearly as fun as it was back like 10, 15 years ago, even. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's kind of very awesome if you have that and you, I don't get that feeling anymore. And also it, doesn't help that there's two zillion award shows on TV nowadays. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Because most people, I think, prefer at this point to watch the Golden Globes because it's more casual. There's a lot of more humor. It's a little bit more entertaining. Um, it seems a little less rigid um, than the Oscars. And you know, you hear so many people complain about how long the Oscars are. I always used to think that was a treat, like make it long because it's special. 
you know? Like, people don't complain, oh, the Super Bowl's long. Well, some people do. But um, you know what I mean? Like, if it's the biggest event, then it should be, it should break the rules. It's just, we don't have a time frame. We're just going to do this until we do it, you know? Instead of people going, oh, I can't, you know, I have to wait. Then, you know, it sucks to work the next day. Yes, I get it. But um, I don't know. I think, obviously, it's been on my mind because, A, you know, we've been, uh talking about these classic movies lately and you mentioned you know paul newman and and, and uh, robert redford for what we did last week um and then this week of course we've got rosalind russell who uh is just amazing uh she's not represented on the, with a day on the summer of the stars uh unfortunately at tcm but man i can only you know not only the movie that we're about to talk about auntie mame is a is a great performance of hers but i particularly love her in uh, his girl friday which is probably the first time i noticed her and then later on in her career when she did gypsy uh played gypsy's mother in uh the gypsy rose lee movie the musical gypsy she's just amazing she's an amazing actress and uh it you know and i just hope that you know i mean we talked about you know i mentioned how like you know that uh there's a lot of issues that people have with uh movies from the past and some of them aren't exactly politically correct and everything um and a lot of people you know just don't like to watch them because i don't like watching black and white movies which i that that bugs me but i get it you know people like what they like but i think they're missing out on some great stuff and i just uh i just love it and i'm glad that there's a channel like turner classic movies and i'm not just saying that because they're an atlanta channel i I know a couple people that work there but you know that's not that's not where i'm about i'm just you know i'm just glad that uh that channel in particular just seems to help represent this and keep this sort of element of hollywood alive Right. Well, that's, that's a good point about it is just like, you know, people have their thing that they're into movie wise. And, you know, it was like, I was talking to Mark Maddox the other day and we were talking about different things that were on the criterion collection. And if you guys, if you ever get a chance to get some of those, remastered, they are just wonderful. Yes. Criterion is the reason to buy Blu-rays. Oh, Blu-rays or 4K. It's just the some of the things that are being, you know, fixed up for high dev. It's just it's just worth it, folks. Absolutely. They treat the films right. They would do the restoration and the films look better than they ever have. And then the bonus material, if you love that movie or if you want to find out about that movie, all the material is right there for you to just spend days on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's very easy to do. And a lot of times you can find the the criterion stuff. Sometimes they're on special, especially around the holidays because people want them as gifts. And if you do want to send anyone a gift here on the network, just write us and let us know. <laughs> just saying. Yep. I don't think neither myself or Mike would even complain about that. Not at all. No. Not even a little bit. No. And I think that's part of the fun of it. I've, you know, we're both movie heads and, you know, it's funny cause I'm thinking about cutting cable and, you know, one of the, my biggest regrets of cutting cable will be Turner movie classics. Ah, but they've got a streaming app. So don't you worry because if, even if you don't have cable, you can check out, uh, TCM movies. Yay. See, all right. Bye-bye Comcast.
hit the road. <laughs> yeah, you don't necessarily need that for that. So that's that's awesome. And yeah, there's several other places to get, you know, movies as well. I mean, I, I you know, I single out TCM because they're probably the most well known, but uh um but they're 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 good folks there and it's it's fun, you know. I mean, summer box office movies, you know, obviously box summer is full of box office movies. Like, you know, we just had uh Hobbs and Shaw like just you know running rampant this month uh but i think it's also kind of cool like because it's the summer you can spend time you know with uh some great classic movies as well and uh i just you know i'm glad what we're talking about this one uh, tonight because um you know it's a classic movie that i think people and it's not a black and white people and it's not a musical so bobby nash even you can watch it Ta-da! see you know just I don't even want to talk about, you know, what they're doing with musicals now in the movies. But, you know, so, you know, we love the Elton John That's movie. That's another rant and rave. That is a whole nother one. Now, we're not even going to talk about the cats thing. It's just like, ugh. So, but yeah, that's not even here nor there. But, you know, even, you know, classic, you know, musicals back then were just bigger than life. You know, what was it about a couple weeks ago? Judy and I were watching Music Man with Robert Preston. Good one. And it's just, it's just awesome. And the thing is, it's, again, it takes you back to a bygone era. And it's just, it's just awesome. And then I had ice put into my veins when somebody, same day, told me that Steven Spielberg is remaking West Side Story. I think that's awesome. Do you? Yeah, I do. Why? I think West Side Story is is great for interpretation. I think it's time. I mean, I don't. I don't think I'm not a guy who. I mean, certainly, uh, I'm. I, I like original, like original movies, right? You know, and there are certain movies that, yes, it probably would get under my skin if they were remade. But I'm also open to the idea of other ter- interpretations. I mean, West Side Story is a play. It's a musical that's on Broadway. So every time a new cast comes in and a new director and a new version of it, it's constantly reinventing itself to make it fit the time that it's in. And I think a lot of people, it's funny you mentioned West Side Story because they're about to show this on TCM this week. Cause uh, uh, I can't remember. Oh, I, I think they showed it. Actually, you're right. They showed it last weekend cause uh, it was Rita Moreno day. Um, so they showed West Side Story. So I was watching that. Right. And then they showed lots of episodes of the electric company. <laughs> And I'm like, and I'm thinking this movie is awesome, but I mean, how many people are going to watch this movie from 1961? You know, it's not black and white, but you know, it, it, it could, it's in need of an update. And I, I can't wait to see what Spielberg does, especially if he gets an amazing choreographer to work with him. Um, I mean, it could be something that could just blow us all away. So I think the potential is there. Um, now, whether or not it lives up to it, eh, we'll see. But I, I don't hate the idea. I, I like the idea a lot, as a matter of fact. Really? Yeah. Okay, good. Now, if you ask me about, like, somebody remaking, you know, Casablanca, I might, like, have to, like, you know, punch you. But, like, you know, like, for for some movies, I think it's okay. Like, there's, I know it sounds hypocritical, and maybe Casablanca could be done as well. I don't, you know, but, I mean, like, to me, West Side Story is not just a movie. It's a it's a play. It's just something that needs to breathe. It needs to be updated. Okay. I could see that. 
especially how interesting it would be now. Yeah. Now you could tell the story, a West Side story, like, like it fits now. It's scary how much it fits now. I'll be very interested to see what he does. Me too. So it'd be cool. You know, there's always just, you know, there's a place for us. Just always remember that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, please let us know what ones touched you. What, you know, which ones, you know, come and grab you and, you know, make you go, now that's a classic, you know? So we definitely want to hear about that. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment. This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. Well, it looks like the summer movie season is pretty much over for all intents and purposes. It's always hard to believe how fast the summer movie season comes and goes. I mean, it seems like we were just sitting down to talk about Avengers Endgame, and now we're already starting to look ahead to movies coming in the fall and winter. Looking back over the summer, the big winner, of course, was Avengers Endgame. I knew it was going to be big, but it just amazed me literally how big this movie became. It seemed like literally everybody went to see this movie opening weekend, and they kept going back to see it. Just kind of mind-blowing to see what its box office receipts were. And, you know, uh, no superhero movie may end up ever topping it. Will definitely be interesting to see. One of the things I'm curious about is to see what the public response is to the MCU going forward after such a big epic movie that wrapped up so many storylines and character arcs. Will some of these new announcements that came out of San Diego Comic Con really boost people's interest, or will we start to see a little bit of a leveling off after you know well-loved characters like Iron Man and Captain America have been retired? My gut feeling is that it's going to be just fine. I think people have kind of learned by now, like, oh, they see it's a Marvel movie and they know they can trust the brand, but we'll have to wait and find out. Um, Some of the other winners this summer were, surprisingly enough, some of the Disney live action remakes. Despite some potential negative buzz, I heard online both Aladdin and The Lion King were huge money makers, both domestically and overseas. And That trend is probably going to continue with other upcoming live action remakes like Mulan coming in the near future. So definitely interesting to see how much success Disney has found across all its platforms. It really is going to be the studio to beat in 2019. And with the new Star Wars movie still to come in December, I think it's going to be hard for anyone to top it at this point. Actually, pretty much impossible. But enough about summer movies, because we still do have some movies coming out in theaters this weekend. We have first the Angry Birds movie 2, in case you happen to forget that there was a first one, based, of course, on the popular game. You don't hear about as much anymore, or at least I don't. The interesting thing is that this movie is not rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, as of recording time at least, though of course that could change. We also have the movie Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which is a comedy drama based on a best-selling novel and stars Kate Blanchett, who goes on a journey of self-discovery to find her passion for life again. And on DVD this week, we have, of course, a movie that we already talked a little bit about earlier, Avengers Endgame. So if you're wanting to add that to your home video collection to compete 
to complete your collection of MCU movies, you can go pick up a copy this week. And that's it for this week's movie content. If you're looking for more entertainment-related stuff, you can check out my blog, boxofficebuzzab.wordpress.com. This week, I'm continuing my first-time viewing of Game of Thrones, and I'm covering seasons four and five. Do you enjoy pop culture? Of course you do. You're already listening to Pop Culture Podcasts here on the ESO Network. The Rusted Robot Podcast discusses movies, trailers, TV shows, space and robot news, and so much more. Won't you please join us for a pop culture overload wherever you listen to podcasts. TheRustedRobot.Podbean.com, a proud partner of the Soul Forge Podcast here on the ESO Network. The Rusted Robot Podcast. Think about it. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. We are here to talk with some new friends of the show. We are talking to Liz and Sean. They worked on a film called Tribute Night. Welcome to the show. Hey guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So Tribute Night, it's like a it's a horror movie, and I've been trying to do find all I can about it and everything. It looks pretty awesome. Tell us about it. Definitely. Tribute Night is going to be the ultimate movie-goer fantasy when it comes to horror because we have a group of gentlemen that are so consumed by their love of horror that they decide to pay a tribute to their favorite killing scenes with a group of unsuspected road trippers. Oh, okay. So basically they're, they're on a road trip and they, these people come across these guys who are into the horror films? Definitely. And they're like, what a great group to, you know, pay tribute to our fantasies. That's interesting. That sounds really like a great concept. How did you guys come about this? Well, I wrote the script and Sean and I have done films together in the past. We also have a production company together. So when I wrote this script, I definitely grabbed him aboard and we just went from there. That is awesome. And, you know, how long have you guys been working on the script for is, you know, you said you've worked on other things together. Yes, I would say it's been about two years of us working together. And I've been working on this script for a little bit longer than that. I actually completed it last year and then decided to take it out to play this year. That's awesome. You know, what is your background with it? Are you like total? horror nuts or you like all different genres and you just this is your first jaunt into it or what i'm a big horror movie fanatic um i grew up in horror my mom introduced me to all the classics like freddie jason and chucky just growing up so i was already a huge fan um what about you sean Uh, i've always been a horror fan um i also like uh, uh cop drama type stuff like the shield but uh Horror has always been a staple, too, growing up in the 80s and the 90s. Oh, that's awesome. And so this is where you guys, you know, felt it and such. Um, Tell me about the production. How long did it take and where did you shoot? The production itself only took three days. The pre-production took months. Yeah, the pre-production was months long, but the actual production was three very long days. Cool. Um, did you do it local to where you guys are based out of or did you do it, you know, did you travel for it? We 
did some locally and we traveled a little. Our first day we were in Lake Nona, Florida. The second day we were in Titusville, Florida. And then the third we were in Fort McCoy, Florida. So we did quite a bit of traveling. I think the farthest distance was about two hours. And once we got out there, we had no reception. It was like in the middle of nowhere. Oh, wow. So, you know, you guys could have become victims of someone wandering down the road or something. Oh, yes. That was like the running joke with everyone. They're like, is this really a movie? Like we had one of the females in her scene and people were joking with her like, this is really not a movie. You know? <laughs> so you're not doing snuff films. Do not worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, you guys are laughing mysteriously. Uh Oh, change the subject. So, yes, 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 yes. so where are you guys planning on distributing this movie? And, you know, what's the plan? Our plans, um, we have a couple of people that we know in uh, Netflix, so we are planning on showing it to them, seeing if we can get them to distribute, as well as pretty much everyone that we can. We wanted to present it to everyone, uh, take it to the film festivals, DVD, um, you know, rent, all that good stuff. That is awesome. And Sean, you know, what, you know, where can, you know, people you know, see this kind of stuff when, how soon can the general public be able to get to start to see the movie? I believe we were going to try to shoot for uh, um, either late September, October, depending on the schedule and what she said with Netflix and distributors uh, getting involved. Um, As far as the public, we're going to try to get it released. I would say before the end of the year, for sure. I just don't, we just don't have a date locked down yet. That's awesome. And, you know, of course you're waiting to distribute it and find out, you know, if the studio is going to take it up and that's awesome that you guys have done that. What kind of projects do you have coming past us? Or are you guys just focusing right now on tribute night? Right now we are focusing on just getting that done, but we're working on a short film for a little group here in Orlando. And then after that, we're going to be working on another full feature that I just finished writing. That's going to be more of a psychological thriller. That is awesome. And, you know, once you guys get that up and running, we'd love to talk to you further about that also. Oh, yes, definitely. That's going to be a whole beast of its own. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. That is really cool. So, you know, I'm very much curious to see this. I can't wait to see what you guys have come up with. How can people find out, get more information about you guys? Well, we have our Facebook page. It's uh, Tribute Night. Uh, we have our Instagram, which is Tribute Night Movie, and then we're also on Twitter. So all the branches, and then eventually we'll be on YouTube just so we can like put out the trailer and everything. It is awesome that you guys were able to stop by and talk to us a little bit about it. And, you know, let's do the big Hollywood elevator speech. Tell us real quick about it, and then we'll get out of here. All right, Sean, hit it. About the movie? Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, Shortly, without giving away too much, uh, like she said, there's four guys that are into horror. Um, They're currently in the renovation process of a motel that I am the lead on, I guess you could say. I'm like the dad who's, uh, these, I guess they look up to me like a father figure, but uh, there's always always some disgruntledness around. Uh, and uh, we meet some new people and things get interesting. Uh, you see it, Mike. What's that? 
to say it mildly. <laughs> yeah, to say it mildly, yes. Um, we're going to definitely it's gonna be it. like a roller coaster ride, but the very end is where it just drops off. So <laughs> it's going to be right up to the end. The whole thing's a climax right at the end of the movie. That is awesome. Sean, Liz, thank you guys so much. And we're looking forward to Tribute Night. And let's take a quick break. And we'll be back in a moment with more Earth Station One. Everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. Edna, I called you yesterday. Where are you? Hello, darling. I'll be with you in just a minute. Vladimir. I'm your Auntie May. Yes, it's the wacky and warm, wild and wonderful Auntie May, whose story shattered all bestseller records and then ran riot on stages all over the land. Auntie Maine, the name that has become a household word. And brother, what a household. No, 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 no! You do have a bust! Oh. I want to skittle out and pay off that nice taxi man so he can get along home to his family. You mean say you left a taxi meter running in the middle of the Depression? Well, ma'am, you see, I'm in awe. It just keeps on gushing. There ain't nothing I can do about it. Live, that's the message. Yes, life is a banquet, and most poor suckers are starving to death. Come on now, child, live. Live, let's go and live. Tomorrow morning, I, me, personally, am taking this boy off to boarding school. I am placing him in St. Boniface Academy, where he will stay. You will only get your depraved hands on him Christmas and summer, and I wish to heaven I could prevent that. And he means, if you'll only give me another chance, I'll prove to you. I wouldn't exactly... give you the time of day after the dirty double cross you pulled on me. But you can't take him from me. He's, he's all I have. Mame, I'm sorry. I just don't think I could bear it. Never seen you cry before. <laughs> Mame. Is there anything wrong, Missy Gooch? I did just what she told me. I lived. I'm gonna find out what to do now. better go see Annie Mame. Okay. 
You'd better too. You wouldn't want to miss it for anything. Hi everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the poshest penthouse you've ever been in in New York City, my darling. As we are visiting every gay person's favorite aunt, Auntie Mame tonight. This is a movie from the 1950s starring Rosalind Russell. And we will talk about a few of the other versions briefly. But Auntie Mame is based upon a true story uh, of a boy who was orphaned and sent to go live with his very eccentric aunt, who is known as Mame. And we're going to just briefly go down that. But first, let's introduce everybody. Hi, Sabrina Pandora. Hello. It's been forever since we had you on. I'm so glad you're back for this one, because if anyone I know is larger than life, it would be you, darling. So I did take a lot of lessons from this. Okay. So uh, so did I. I took a lot of lessons from this. Learn, tell your 10-year-olds how to make a proper martini, being the first one. So that's... that's the you got to get used on those little guys in short pants. They are free labor, kids. They're free labor. So use them up. Use them Free up. heck. You got to feed them. Mm. So that's I, I guess I raised William. I guess I w- raised William wrong. Yeah, you did. You did. You did. You did. A, no, William didn't William have an auntie name. Auntie he had a Jewish mother. Oy. That's a whole other movie. <laughs> We're not going there tonight. I, uh, I got spies. That's got an entire spice. series of other movies. Yeah, yeah. boy, howdy. Uh, or therapy sessions. He he didn't have an he didn't have an <laughs> uncle Darren. I, I actually tell my nephew to call me Gunkle because he's got an uncle. I'm like, okay, I'm the gay uncle, so I'm a Gunkle. I like that. Uncle Darren, Uncle Darren, aren't you supposed really to be like Uncle Arthur in his life? Oh, Samantha, stop it. Um, Uncle, <laughs> no. Uncle, you sound like something that you know the dentist says you should get off. <laughs> you didn't floss enough. You have Uncle, right? Oh, that's mm, that's not good. No. Yeah, that, and and that it's okay. He can't really... loud like that. It sounded like something else entirely. <laughs> he can't really pronounce it. It's fine. We're not going to say anything about spitting it out, so it's okay. Yeah, it's um, ooh. let's move on. It's Dowen. Dowen. <laughs> if I if I even can get my name, it's Dowen. So obviously, we're going to talk about a 1950s movie, and you think it wouldn't be racy, but oh, you wait, kids. This movie looks innocuous on the surface, but this movie is all about how the whole argument for gays adopting kids will make them gay is not true. That, that doesn't happen because this kid was in the gayest environment ever and came out straight as a board. <laughs> top shelf. Really top, top shelf. shelf. Really top draw. Yeah. And he yeah. even did go to a boarding school, you know, for boys. He, did. he went, he went to a boarding school for boys. He did. Well, his first school. Uh, well, let's, let's start at the opening at the opening. Um, Mame's brother has very strong opinions and he's writing out his will and Mame being his only other living relative um, besides his child says, you'll go to visit uh, with auntie Mame. If something should happen to me, but nothing's going to happen to me. Four days later, the man drops dead in a steam room. I can only assume it's because he was having the best sex of his life in the steam room. And that's why he had the heart attack at that point. Because that's what gentlemen's clubs were for. And that's also why women weren't allowed in. It's very well, that and so many other reasons. But. Some of the other reasons, like vaginas, you know. So, Nora Muldoon, a good Irish lady, takes uh, Patrick, the boy, over to Auntie Mames, and uh, they are welcomed by this very interesting 
Chinese dragon doorbell. Oh, that door was awesome. The smoke comes out, and it's like you could see this. This would be like the ultimate house of anyone who goes to a con, because every time you went into it, it was completely redecorated. Every time there was a vignette in the apartment, the apartment was completely redone. So, so the art direction on this show was or on this movie, was and she was always like ten years ahead of the styles too. Always, always that Chinese thing, the opium den. You know, it was like, oh my. Um, and of course, um, the brother not trusting Mame decides, well, we have a, we have to have a trustee to watch out and keep my sister's eccentricities under control. And so he comes up, and they agree, quote unquote, on where Patrick should go to school. He wants a very conservative school. Mame's like, oh, sure, whatever you want. And he leaves. And she enrolls him in the all-nude co-ed school in Greenwich Village. I don't think it gets gayer than that. I thought that was pretty darn awesome. And especially, oh, for, very awesome. especially for the time, it was very eye-opening. You know, it's supposed <laughs> to be taking place in, what, 1928 when it first started. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to play Fish Family. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that was just like, wow, they go lay their eggs and they go into the corner and then the men come and it's like, oh, yeah. do what gentlemen do. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> very wholesome. Very wholesome. Hold on. Are you guys going to jerk off in the corner? Because if you are, I'm leaving. No, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Here's the thing about this. Rosalind Russell is amazing as Mame. She has got so much dialogue to control. She's got so many things about her that she has to get. And she's done this part on the stage for years beforehand. So she knows Mame inside and out at this point. All of her, you know, mannerisms and everything, very, very, very timed with everything that's going on around her. And you can tell she is the consummate hostess. She's the consummate everything else. You find out she's into fads. But when Patrick shows up, her new fad is motherhood, period. <laughs> And it obsesses her. So much so that when the trustee finds out that Mame did not enroll him in the boring conservative school, her friend says that she's actually crying for the first time because he's taking him away to boarding school. So she'll only see him during Christmas in the summer. Breaks her heart. At the same time, the depression hits, of course. The great crash. Yeah, kind of ironic that everyone gets depressed at the same time Mame does, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I thought it was awesome, though. Oh, your (laughs) stockbroker wants to talk to you before he's jumping out the window. Indeed. It's it's polite. It's polite. The dialogue and the and the expository dialogue that move the plot along mm-hmm. are all just as snappy as her dialogue. Oh, oh totally. very much so. It's, it's very in that thin man, clue witty repartee staccata delivery. It's you have to watch this movie a couple times to hear all of the dialogue because it goes by so quickly. You're going to miss something, guaranteed. And I think, and I think that's like that's why Rosalind is the perfect yeah. person to cast oh, because that's that's something that she excelled at in her career. I know that um, I first, uh, I think the first movie that I saw her in was His Girl Friday. Is just it's just bang 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 dialogue 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 like it zips by so fast mm-hmm. oh, that uh, yeah you need We're to watch it a few times to, to really um, uh, understand it. But that's what that's the kind of character she plays. Even in uh, the, the movie The Women, 
That's uh, she plays. She's <laughs> yeah. She's she's amazing oh, yeah. in that. But that's mm-hmm. that's. I mean, yes. Rosalind had the you know uh, oh, totally. gorgeous totally, totally, uh, totally. movie star well, of the, as, of the as time the looks and all her. that kind of stuff oh, to go with that. She has but to I think what? her real specialty job. was Mame's snappy not dialogue. Good with employment, kids. If you didn't guess, she she's been independently wealthy for some time because of all the money that she had in the bank, and well, that's all gone now. So she her first job is acting with her dear friend, dear, dear friend, Vera Charles, who is constantly drunk and passing out in this movie, which is hilarious. Um, Vera it's Charles, a good role. It's, it's a good role. It's, it's a totally good probably role. Probably came very naturally. Funny. Oh, probably, you think? Um, did a very good job with this. B. Arthur played her in the Lansbury on stage version and in the Lucille Ball. We'll get to it later. But just imagine a B. Arthur bitchiness you got Vera Charles down. It's, it's pretty amazing. And so they go and, and she tries to be an actress and she wears a prop uh, bracelet that makes too much noise. And it totally shambles this very, very serious dramatic play. <laughs> everyone starts laughing and everyone's like, we're ruined. We're ruined. So she's kicked out of the play. And then she goes and she tries to be a telephone operator for like five seconds and she can't do it. So she's out of that job. And then she goes, again, you're, su- you're surprised with rapid fire dialogue. Indeed. Indeed. Um, then she goes to work for Macy's during the Christmas season, which, of course, every movie back then had to have a Christmas season, right? You had to have that Christmas scene in it. And she goes and she meets uh, Beauregard Pickett Burnside, and he tries to buy some skates. And, of course, she's incompetent at it and gets fired. Um, she leaves. Um, he tries to make it up to her by showing up later in their penthouse. Basically, they get married after going down south and her having to prove herself to his dear, sainted mother. Oh, but and was, as one does. Yeah, of course. But that was such does. a wonderful scene with the fox hunt. Yeah. Oh, the fox yes. hunt. Yes. That was so yeah. awesome. Yeah, you kind of can't skim over the fox yeah, hunt. Yeah, you can't because that was just Well, awesome. okay, we'll talk about the fox hunt. This poor fox. <laughs> well, first of all, let's talk about Maine being set up by the bitch. Oh, to, God, to yes. be in the fox hunt first, okay? One of many of the other bitchy women in this movie, and there are a few bitchy women in this movie. Um, few? A They're few, all bitchy. A few. There's a few. And uh, this one obviously was the one who wanted to have um, Mr. Burnside to herself. And he he's the type of man who's very oblivious when a woman is interested, or he had already seen enough of her and he wasn't interested in her but too polite to tell her to go away. One of the two. And of course, this is the family that had money because they had oil. So exactly. oil keeps, oil keeps gushing. He says exactly. And can't do anything about it. Didn't you go pro? So the, no, ma'am. Oil keeps no, ma'am. gushing. So, um, he, she gets married to him after a hilarious fox hunt where she gets stuck to the <laughs> saddle of a, of a homicidal horse. <laughs> Basically, it's very, very like Disney comedy of errors, this section of the movie, where they're just running after this poor. And I think this is before the ASPCA was actually on movie sets. <laughs> Most likely. So, so the poor horse and, and the dogs and, and uh, the fox, poor thing. Obviously, when they when she catches the fox, she's cradling it in her arm. She says, oh, let's tuck it out. Obviously, it's a stuffed fox at that point because foxes would bite the crap out of you. Um, <laughs> so they, they get married and they start touring around the world 
And uh, Patrick joins them occasionally when he has vacation and everything. He's still going to school, obviously, because, <laughs> you know, there's that Knickerbocker bank man who keeps wanting him to go to school. So every time they get together, Bo likes to get a shot of Mame up on high. He was, he was Instagram before Instagram was a thing. He knew, he knew that getting up high and shooting down onto your your subject was a good vantage point. So he's constantly going up high. I mean, he's constantly telling him not to do it. Stop doing it. No high bow. No high bow. And it becomes this, okay, when's he going to fall? Because I think she said it like six times in the movie. They go to Egypt. He's on like the, the side of a pyramid. They go to Paris. Of course, it's the Eiffel Tower there. And then they wind up over in um, the Alps with the Matterhorn. And he yodels his way down to the bottom of a Swiss village, basically. So now Mame is a widow. And but he made it he, down there so quickly, though. He did. Yeah. It was very quick. He, they, they were thinking about taking No, you, you think you're going to fall a lot longer. Turns out, gravity. Wow. Gravity's quick. Gravity's a, a quick mistress. So and and unforgiving as well. So <laughs> poor poor Bo. And they were married for we think in about like five to ten years, and she really was in love with him. There was no like let me grab him for the money. She really did love him. Um, so now oh, she and it's played by Forrest Tucker. So oh, he's yeah. pretty lovable. True, very lovable. He projects that aw shucks charm. Mm-hmm. It's like this is this is a this is a millionaire. This this guy mm-hmm. who's so nice to everybody, really? He's Aren't a- you an F troop? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yes, yes, he was. Oh, he so was. They, they they get through that, and this is about the time where we stop seeing young Patrick, and we we suddenly get fast forwarded to older Patrick, who uh-huh. is now a Rat boy Patrick. Yeah, doesn't he look a little bit like Patrick Wilson from Terminator Two? A little bit. A little bit? Yeah. Because I was like, holy crap, run, people, run. He's going to kill you all. I always thought he looked a little more like um, uh, the guy uh, from Animal House, Greg. Oh, oh, yes. oh um, Greg, yeah. is it supposed to be this soft? That one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it supposed to be this soft? Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he looked like him. <laughs> so that's it. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Got it. No, that, that's Kevin Bacon. That's That's different. All is well. Sorry. (laughs) All is well. Do not panic. Uh, Different movie. So, what Patrick knows enough about his Auntie Mame is that Auntie Mame needs a project to dive into. (laughs) And now that uh, she is a widow, Burnside, he decides it's time for Auntie Mame to write her memoirs. 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 And so he hires a couple of people to help out. Um, we get the uh, wonderful addition of Agnes Gooch to the family. <laughs> oh, she was awesome. She's hilarious, played by Peggy Cass. She is a, a hoot and a half. And um, we get um, Mr. O'Banion, the Irish poet, <laughs> who is out for Mame's money, apparently, mm-hmm. all the time, and thinks betting her is the right idea. But then Patrick shows up um, and says to his Auntie Mame, well, I've met a girl. Dun, dun, dun. Really top shelf. Really top drawer, Annie Mame. And she's looking at him like, oh, really? Mm. 
I don't know if I like this. Hmm. Yes, yeah, the first time you really see the eyes narrow and stay. Oh yeah, and stay there because like, hmm. he flashes it from time to time in conversation. But that's the very first time you see her bring him down, and she looks like Bugs Bunny, suspicious. Pretty much, pretty much. She she's got that. Hmm. And then she meets Gloria, who she calls Glory, <laughs> which is hilarious because that gets turned on her a little bit later. And um, Glory is about as vacant as a certain president's cabinet post. Ooh. But agreed, yes. She, she's, she's not there. You, she Very, is as waspy as you can possibly be. Yep. She, she is a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant from Connecticut. I, it's like when I saw her, I was like, what is Patrick seeing her, you know? Um, blonde with boobs and money. And also remember, he was kind of being pushed to, like, be in a relationship with a girl like this by the bank trustee. He was in, being introduced to all these families and all this stuff going on while Auntie Mame and Uncle Bo were touring the world. And that's why she, Mame was getting those letters and going, oh, we need to go back. We need to go back. We need to go back. And now it's like, finally, we're going to go back. You know, we're going to, we're going to figure this out. So. <clears throat> by, the way, by the way, not to be forgotten, but the trustee's name is Dwight. Yes. Babcock. Mr. Babcock. Mr. Babcock. Which, you know, I hear that. I think Badcock. No, no, none for you. None for you. Badcock. Badcock. <laughs> and um, Joanna Barnes plays uh, Ms. Gloria Upson. And she plays, that's not her real voice in the movie. It's an affected Connecticut accent because it's really top draw. You know, it's like, it's like she's got her, everything is clenched in her jaw. And everything is just talking through her teeth. And it's pretty amazing. Never. Oh yeah, she has long jaw. Her no, wow. she doesn't. She doesn't. Her jaw actually never <laughs> unclenches. All the liquid diet. Uh, they pretend so... to eat. She never actually. <laughs> they were so saving her main... liquid diets for dragon time. Come on, liquid oh diet. God. I guess. Oh, so much to save for. So <laughs> we see uh, <laughs> May meet the fiance. Totally unimpressed, but being polite. So she tr- she tries to figure out a way to meet the the girl's parents and manages to get an invite over to their house in Connecticut in Montebank in the very restricted community in Montebank and it, their place is called Ups and Downs because and their the last name community. is Upson and a down is kind of a British term for a place to live I guess so they live in Ups and Downs and that is a pun that is made throughout the rest of the movie. And it's so painful. And we have uh, Doris and Claude Upson who have redone their whole house to be colonial Americana. And it is classic and awful at the same time. You only see the porch and the bar outside. And Claude thinks of himself as a real, like, swinger ladies man type of guy. And um, the... Mrs. Upson is more of the demure housewife without a lot to say except to approve of her husband and what he's saying, basically. So they meet, and basically they, they reveal the fact that they're bigots <laughs> uh, fairly uh, at the end of the uh, conversation. 
Um, they have already decided what Patrick's career is going to be. He's going to get him a job with his banker as a stockbroker on the stock exchange. And they're going to buy the kids a plot of land right next door where they can live next to them and keep their community restricted. Ugh. Now, this would be in the 19, late 1940s when this was happening. Because Patrick didn't go off to war, so he's too young to go to war. I think, but he has now graduated college. I think this is maybe. I don't think it was even that long. It's probably late 1930s. Yeah, yeah, it's probably like yeah, 39. It could be in the 30s. Well, but she was with. Hold on, he was 10. He was 10 in 28. Okay, well, hold on. Patrick Patrick is how old? Okay, which means he was born in 1918. World War II started for the United States. Yeah, but there's no mention of of war at all. You know it's way before 41. Or or it's after. Yeah, it is a timeless story. There is no, except for the Depression, there's no quote-unquote real-world event that interferes with this at all. All of this keeps trucking along. So they they are... Uh, well, that's why I think it huh? takes place, like, most of it takes place right before the war, and then at that's the end true. it fast-forwards totally. to after the war. Like, so so we, we, we miss it, all of it, World War It does War kind of bypass the fact that he would have been old after enough to war. serve. Yeah, yeah, because that World yeah. War II has no place in this movie. Yeah. Well, then that's that's a good thing, I would think. Because it would totally... Ha-ha! Good point. <laughs> yeah, no. This is not... We don't want to see maim darning socks for the war effort. I think that'd be four. Well, also, if you um, want to put it into that order, because, you know, if this was originally a book, and then it became the Broadway play, and then it became the movie, this movie was 1958, <laughs> just backtrack time. Yeah, but the, the yeah, book totally. was so. came out just shortly before... Like, the, this was really fast-tracked. I mean, the book came out in 55, it was a play, I think, like the next year or the year after, and then it was a movie, like by '58. So, I mean, that's a fast turnaround. Well, I mean, this is one of the first books that became like a an instant seller, like one that everyone had to have, the Harry Potter of its day, if you will, because it, it's pretty hilarious and it's a little racy yeah. in places for the time. I mean, the kids making the banker a martini. And putting the movie or the the film stage star in bed and unzipping her gown and everything. So, you know. Oh, sure. No, absolutely. Back then, in the 50s? Scandal. Scandal. Still, very valid point about that fast track. I mean, I'm still waiting for a Wicked movie. Yeah. (laughs) This was three years from novelization to bam, in theaters now. Come see Auntie May. Pretty much. Because uh, yeah. Rosalind Russell had done it on the uh, stage for two years. Yeah, two years. Yeah, it was a, it was another. Yeah, it was another like yep. like ten years before it would be on a musical on Broadway, and then another almost yeah, we'll ten get, years we'll after that, that it would be made. Version. The musical would be made into a movie. So, yes, we have to briefly. It's, it's briefly. So so let's finish up with the Epsons. <laughs> Otherwise, they take away our glad card. I know, right? I know they would. The the whole the whole game mafia will come out. <laughs> you know, it's it's not pretty. They strut. They don't walk after you. They strut after purse, you. It's very purse first, darling. Purse first. Yes, darling. No. Mm-mm. 
So um, in the interim, uh, Mrs. Gooch has gotten pregnant via uh, the Irish poet because <laughs> she went out and lived. <laughs> there was a wedding scene. Yep. Yep. She went out and lived and now she needs to know what she's supposed to do now. Um, <laughs> so uh, Mame is not pleased with the Epsons at all for future in-laws or Gloria as a possible wife for Patrick. So she invites them over for what she referred to as an intimate family dinner. Now, this is the only time I'm going to say the fade out on this scene, which all the scenes in the movie fade out on Mame, but the look on her face is definitely spider to the fly here. And again, you can't. This is another Chuck Jones Bugs Bunny expression. Oh yeah, because I believe oh, this, this is where means Chuck Jones war. Got the <laughs> well, I believe this is where Chuck Jones got the inspiration was from her expressions. I, I could totally see it. Yeah, I could totally see it being Bugs Bunny. Totally. Now that you mention it. Yep. So the Upsons come over to Mame's apartment, which is now done by the Danish artist Yul Yulu. And it does look like an Ikea display. It does. It looks like an Ikea setup. It really, really does. It's frightening. This might be a play in the 50s. Again, Mame, very ahead of her time. Mm -hmm. Totally. Her money was running out, possibly, so, you know, she needed to... No, no, she had money. She's got oil now. She's the widow of the Burnsides. She's got oil. It just keeps on gushing. She's fine. She's fine. (laughs) She's got money. Um... The Upsons come over, and um, <laughs> then eventually all the quote-unquote family show up, including Vera Charles, the uh, publisher friend, um, the uh, first school teacher Patrick ever had when she was doing the naked leapfrog, you know, fish family thing. To which, of course, the Upsons would very much like go, oh, my goodness, no, 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 that's not going to happen. So she starts serving drinks, and of course these drinks are flaming drinks. The flaming mame. <laughs> please, please. Is that really a started. thing? Can I order that in a bar? Sweetie, you are that in a bar. This is true. Hello, how are you? How you doing? See? Yep. It's done. <laughs> and are we all lit yet? Oh yeah, we're lit, mame. We're lit. So then she serves the hors d'oeuvres, which of course would be a pickled rattlesnake. Which, of course, the Connecticut palates, you know, they don't approve of. But let's remember what Mrs. Upson served, Mame. Two different types of tuna fish mixed with peanut butter. Ugh. Ugh. Really? I forgot about that. Ugh. Ugh. And, of course, Mr. Upson made her a daiquiri with honey in it. Which makes a daiquiri really overly sweet because honey is a very sweet substance. I don't know. I, I, I would be willing to try that one. (laughs) <laughs> well, Vera walks in, and Mame's like, can I persuade you to have a drink? <laughs> as if as if that needs to even be asked. And she's like, anything but rum. I just came from a party where they serve nothing but daiquiris made with honey. And you're like, oh. <laughs> Insulting the Mr.'s secret ingredient, the honey in his daiquiri, without even knowing about it. Right. She didn't know. Right. We've missed something. I've missed talking about Pegine. Pegine is uh, Auntie Mame's new secretary because, of course, Agnes can't do much for her because Agnes is now waddling with, around with child in a family way, you know, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. 
Um, of course, all these embarrassing things come out at one time. Agnes is revealed to be a single mother. Um, Vera, well, the book shows up that Annie Mame has been writing <laughs> and everyone starts reading, you know, chapters of it. And Vera talks about how Patrick unzipped her and how she never remembered the end of a party and yada, yada, yada. She says, congratulations, your son-in-law is in the raciest book of the year. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And to which the Upsons are getting very, very distraught. And that's but, very uh, meta, too. Oh, totally. Literally, Auntie Mame pulls out the novel that she wrote that's going to be made into a play that will be turned into a movie and goes, ha ha, and now you're in this, too. Yeah, wow. all, all the bigots. You gotta take a revenge. Totally. So at um, some point, it's revealed that Auntie Mame has actually bought the property next to Ups and Downs and has given it to the Epstein home for Jewish refugee children. <laughs> I love that scene. To which point, all the uh, Upsons go, what? And then the furniture explodes, roughly. <laughs> and uh, It's on risers, and it all starts going up and down. Yeah, it's all all pneumatic, you know, things. doop 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 it's it's very very amusing. It's very like 1970s prices right set in a way. Bum, bum, so, <laughs> I know, right? So the Upsons are disgusted and they leave. the The uh, engagement is over. Uh, Mr. Um, uh, what's his name? Crack. Mr. Babcock. That's it. Mr. Babcock's very upset with name shenanigans and how she's ruined all his plans. And she's like, "Your plans? What about what Patrick wants?" And does this whole speech about he doesn't want to be an Aryan from Darien, uh, which is where they kind of, I guess, sort of lived. Um, it's up to him what he wants to be. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's up to him. And so Mr. Babcock leaves after being told, and you don't have the right to tell him what to do anymore since he's obviously over 18 at this point. And so Patrick turns to her and says, you know, basically, thank you for saving him from what would have been a horrible existence. Children of the corn. I know. One right? of us. One of us. <laughs> yeah, and let's not forget that Aryan crack in there, because, you know, not like they were taking a little, you know, little ball tap over there. Oh, yeah. They're... Oh, yeah. An Aryan from Darien. It's like, ooh. Yeah. You turn me into a Nazi. Thanks, Andy Mame. You're pretty much. Pretty much. And so in, in the next flash forward, we see Patrick and Pegine have gotten married and they have a child named Michael, whom, of course, Andy Mame is going to show the world to <laughs> starting off with Hindu temples. And I get the feeling this isn't the first trip they've taken, you know, together. No, I'm sure. And it, it ends with her climbing the, the staircase with Michael while the two parents are just like, Oh, I, I give up, whatever. Just have him back for Labor Day uh, for school. <laughs> and ta-da, there's your Auntie Mame. Now, now? Let's talk about, well, let's talk about Angela Lansbury. Now, Ms. Lansbury was Mame in the musical version on Broadway. Right. Amazing performances. There are some bootlegs from the revival when she did it again. Um, and I suggest you check it out. She was Mame at the beginning of her career, pretty much. Uh, she had done a couple of things. She had done a couple of bit pieces in... Um, some movies over here, but of course her being, being British, it was hard for her to break in at first. But then once she did MAME on Broadway, she became a name, but not a big enough name when they started to talk about doing the musical version of MAME as a, a Hollywood film. Now there's a couple of things that happened here. 
Angel Lansbury, like Julie Andrews before her in uh, King and I, not a King and I, sorry, uh, My Fair Lady, right? Um, she was looked over for um, Audrey yeah. um, because no one knew who Julie Andrews was. And then Julie Andrews went off and made Mary Poppins. So that worked out for Julie as well. Um, so unfortunately, Ms. Lansbury was looked over for Lucille Ball. Now, I want you to think about this, kids. Lucille Ball, obviously a very great comedic actress. We owe a lot to Lucille Ball. We owe Star Trek to Lucille Ball if you do your history, right? True. Uh, she was, she's like the head of Desilu Productions. All those old 1960s, 50s sitcoms, when you see the end, Desilu Production, that's her. Hey, we have Lucy to thank for Star Trek. Yeah. That's what I said, didn't mm-hmm. I? I'm just saying. Did I not? Yeah. You did. Okay. But she was also, I mean, I mean, other than that, though, I mean, let's face it. I mean, Lucille Ball wasn't like, I mean, she was probably the preeminent uh, comedian. Well, yeah, I would say her right? and Carol Burnett were the preeminent ones. Well, no, I mean, prior to Carol oh, yeah. I mean, she oh, inspired. Yeah. She already had before. the established track record at this point. She was the bankable star. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Absolutely. Now, now uh, you know, certainly in movies, but really for mm-hmm. TV – like she was TV, she couldn't the, be beat. No, like, not at all. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. So, um, so it wasn't like you know uh, they were casting like some you know no name or which, you know, compared somebody. to Lucille Ball, Angel Lansbury was a no name. If you were if you were not in New York, right. well, you didn't yeah, know absolutely. who Miss Lansbury was. It was it was not uncommon for yeah, Hollywood totally. to pull that trick. I mean, obviously, Julie Andrews is one of the most famous cases, but they they're, did that they're still many, doing many, it. many. Look many. at the Les Mis we just got. <laughs> that's that's just true. You're right. Look at Beauty and the Beast remake. Man, Disney is remaking everything live action, apparently to prove that no matter how good your film is, we can make a sucky version of it. Mm-hmm. Also, I would also say that... Never work for Disney now. (laughs) Oh, oh, poor you. Poor you. I I already worked for them. I'm good. I don't need to work for the Rat again. Um, Rat again, one of their villains, by the way. Um, So, Mame. One of my favorites. Lucille Ball, God love her and rest her redheaded soul, was was a chain smoker. When you're talking about casting a musical, and you're talking about casting an actress who is obviously of age at that point in her career. The vocal cords, as Sabrina, you ironically know all about right now, are a tool and a muscle that has to be exercised and used in a way as part of an actor and a singer's repertoire. You can do all sorts of stuff with it, but you got to practice. Exactly. So when Lucille Ball tries to sing, and I do mean tries. It's scary. It's, it is, it sounds like every time you go into a diner at 3 a.m. and you can't see the tables for the, ha- the, the, the fog of cigarette smoke <gasps> in your eyeballs, <sighs> and the waitress comes over to you and talks to you through a stoma. Going, what would you like to have for dinner? You remember Selma Diamond from Night Court? Of course. That yeah, that's Lucy's singing voice. Oh, uh, let me tell you, darling. Exactly. Yeah, she 
See, like it on paper, it sounds like she would be exactly. perfect in the role, but that's that's like ten years before. Exactly, this was and B. Done. Arthur would say, even even during the production, oh, she's been miscast, horribly miscast. But she was the one who put up yeah. the money for the film. So what do you do? You let her ruin a film. You let her ruin the film and take it as a write-off. And, of course, Lucille Ball never did a film again. Um, This was her last feature film. Mind you, she hadn't done a film for a long time before this. I mean, she had done mostly TV. No, she had, uh, like, the yeah, the the last one she did before that was, I think, in the late 60s. So, but this was her last official feature film in 1974, MAME. And it was such a dud. Had the Razzies been alive back then, right. this would have gotten the Razzie. Did she have a Did she have a TV it. project after that? Um, she was still doing the Lucy Show, but it was like the the worst of her sitcoms. Because there was like the the I Love Lucy, then the Lucy and Desi show, and then it was the Lucille Ball show. That was the last one, and I think that pe- petered out sometime in the seventies. Yeah, like seventy four. Huh? Maybe, maybe. I mean, she was rich. Oh, she didn't have to work unless she wanted to, you know? Yeah, but I, I think she also kept at it because she wanted to stay relevant, and uh, yeah. she, she was a workaholic. Totally. You know, she, she earned that success. Like like most actors, they, you know, if they don't work, you don't hear from them again. It's true. It's why they, it's why they don't take vacations. They're always working. That's why you, you see them in all these movies all at the same time. It's like, why, why don't they take a break? Because their career will be over if they do. Yeah, she was, I mean, she was still doing stuff. I mean, she was appear. she appeared a couple times on, on like. Oh, she on, did all uh, kinds of guest spots and things. Oh, and she did, oh, like, oh totally. Did it do? I mean. <laughs> well, I think her most famous. She, she was on like a couple of episodes, uh, probably the, maybe the two best episodes of Carol Burnett ever. Probably. <laughs> Now, for me, the only thing that saves the Lucy version of MAME is Robert Preston as Beauregard Jackson Pickett Burnside because he is he Robert is Preston can do anything. Gay on Broadway ever. Pretty much. Pretty much. Pretty much. The music man was <laughs> awesome. Indeed. Music man and Victor Victoria, which we'll get to in this series eventually. So don't worry. We're going to get to that. Oh, call me. Call me. I'm so in. Call you? You're so in on Victor Victoria? Of course you are. (laughs) What a shock. (laughs) What a shock. But the thing about MAME and why MAME is an LGBT touchstone is really because of that over-the-top sense of enjoy life. Because once you come out of the closet, once you, once you give up the closet life and once you give up all the drabness of being something you're not expectations of you and totally. no longer give a crap what they think exactly for yourself, which is the lesson that Mame imparts to her, her nephew and in turn uh, passes on to the family is, you know, live your life, go see, do explore, be, and it doesn't matter if other people think you're weird or different or crazy or whatever. That's their problem. Move on. Exactly. So and, that's what and, it made you know, gay icon. And of course, and, redo your apartment a lot. And, and Every not, other day. And not just me. And not just Mame the character. I mean, Patrick Dennis, who wrote the original novel, mm-hmm. was himself um, 
bisexual and even like um uh like a well-known like gay celebrity in the last of part of sub his life oh, yeah. so mm-hmm. so i mean uh, and so and that and right so from the very beginning with that book and then the sequel he actually wrote a sequel um around the world with anthony main oh my nice. <laughs> i know right um uh it, and you know it's it's regarded as based on his life well to an extent, obviously, there's a lot of liberties taken. Oh, totally, totally. But, the, but a, you know, a gay boy actually making up something about <laughs> a story? Nah, that would never. But himself is based on, uh, you know, his, um, his real sister's aunt, yeah, who his is real aunt. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, those those things are in in the text. I think so totally. When they were very when it was converted to various, you know, whether it was theatrical mm-hmm. or a, a cinematic. Uh, enterprises those themes carried off and i I think if you saw mame as a young impressionable boy or girl you went there's something about this person who's magical something about her is something i want in my life so when i was figuring out that i i might uh when i was cross-dressing and really figuring out that hey I, i think my identity might be shifting a little bit my friends mm-hmm. sat me down and said, here, you have to watch Anti-Mame. I said, why? They said, <laughs> well, we think that you might identify with some of the themes. It may resonate with you. Just watch the film. If nothing else, it's, it's an old 50s comedy. Enjoy. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so I, it, it, they were right. I mean, because I kind of grew up to be Anti-Mame. You know, I, In a way, I have the house like a museum. I, I am everybody's fun aunt. It's true, you are. Yeah, and I'm encouraging. <laughs> and I, and I, the, they, they come to me because they need encouragement, and so I give them that encouragement, mm-hmm. and send them out into the world, and go, yeah, go claim your your birthright, go be that thing, go go do that thing, go no, don't do that thing. <laughs> And plus, we, we love the song Bosom Buddies because it's the perfect bitchy, back and forth, gay, catty <laughs> song that, that most uh, gay boys would overhear at lunch, basically, without the music, pretty much. That's just a beautiful Actually, song. Actually, ha- at least half of them hear the music in their head, too. If, oh, it's true. If you it's start true. humming it, they'll start humming it along with you. One of them will start singing it. Mm-hmm. Try it sometime. It's very amusing. I, I love mm-hmm. starting a tune with the gays. Mm-hmm. What? Oh, sorry. I was, I was, <laughs> I was tuning myself. Anyway, darling, the lesson is live, live, live. Life, Life is, is a, a banquet. And most poor suckers are starving to death. Banquet. Oh, see, I always say buffet and botch the line. Buffet? Yeah. Only, in, only, only in Texas, darling. Is it a buffet? What can I say? I'm a Southern girl. I was raised I on buffets. <laughs> I don't true. really get invited to fancy banquets much, but <laughs> for eleven ninety five, I can plunk my butt down at the at the buffet. <laughs> eleven ninety five. That's an expensive buffet, right there. <laughs> you ain't been to a buffet lately. Yeah. No, apparently oh, you not. should hear apparently some of the not. ones we've been in Vegas. Oof. Ooh, no, thank you. No, thank you. So there you go, my darlings. And now, now that we've visited with your anti-mame, guess what's next? Uh oh. 
I'm afraid we're going to have to go visit our mommy dearest. Oh. <laughs> I'll make sure to bring the wire hangers. And the axe. Bring me the axe. Any other thoughts about dear old Auntie May? It was wonderful. I enjoyed every it's second of movie. it. It's a fun movie. It's a good rainy day movie, too, because it puts you in a better mood. You know? And Rosalind was just so wonderful in this film that she just chewed up every scene she was in. Oh, yeah. She was a little over the top. She could she could have taught Shatner a few things. Oh, God. I loved it at the scene when, you know, Patrick was at the party and she basically said, write down words that you've never heard before. <laughs> Heterosexual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't need that word for several months. <laughs> Kind of a sly little gay jab there. That's, there are lots of little itty bitty jabs in this. In this, that's uh, true. If you <laughs> if you watch the film through that particular lens, and 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 look at it as as a as a commentary on the times, uh, is that yeah, you actually really do start picking them out of there. Mm-hmm. So there there is a to say there's a gay undertone is an undercurrent. <laughs> there there's there's a river running through it. There's some undertone. <laughs> I mean, there, there's no gay people here unless you want to count Ito, the uh, Asian houseboy, I guess, who comes off really gay because he laughs at everything. <laughs> I don't know. The gooch really kind of struck me with a with a very lesbian librarian vibe. Well, that that's true. But then, you know, she got the makeover. So <laughs> that's true. Oh, my God. You do have a bust. It was just oh, so such much a fun, fun movie. Such a fun. Thank movie. you for suggesting this one, Darren. It was awesome. No worries. It was a good time. We needed to have a good time after Cabaret. I figured we need to do one like really political think about it, <laughs> right. and then one let's just have fun. Oh, because... you guys did Cabaret? Yeah, we did Cabaret. Have you been watching Fosse? No, no, I haven't been. We watched the first couple episodes, and it's 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 part of it is his filming some of Cabaret and getting that together, mm-hmm. and uh, overall. It just, uh, the series painted him in such an unflattering light that I don't <laughs> want to watch it again anymore after the second episode. I'm like, ah, I actually kind of like Bob Fosse. So I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to skip that. Yeah. That's <laughs> the grind. Yeah, probably. I'm making him endearing to me. Oh, well. Which is a shame because Sam Rockwell looks good and he's got the moves and the, and all of the choreography is really nice with it. Well, good. Yeah, that, part, that part, right? Oh goodness! Just to digress. <laughs> oh yeah. Indeed. Well, that's okay. We're 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 very familiar with tangents. Oh, we do it quite <laughs> often on this show. I was kind of figuring, you know, that's the whole point of having a talk show is that, you know, you can kind of range and roam and and bounce around. It doesn't always have to stay exactly on topic. True. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty true. That's pretty uh, that's fair. Unless you fair. start having one of those branch stories. In order to understand this, you got to understand that. In order to understand that, you got to understand that. But <laughs> you got to understand this. Okay, I already lost interest two branches ago. So whatever yeah. you're trying to tell me, I don't know if I have enough patience to sit through this. But I don't understand any of it. Help me. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, I've had that discussion. I know, right? <laughs> okay. Anywho, anywho. Exactly. See, you can't explain it neither. What? All right, darlings. By the time we're back, I'm going to redo this whole Earth station. 
It's time to take down the Indian Hindu influence and replace it with, I'm afraid, Hollywood Spanish Revival. Oh, I like Hollywood Spanish Revival. And on that note, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment with the Con Report. Where comedy and commentary collide. Thunder Talk brings a unique variety show style twist to the fandom podcast genre. We drop music from some of today's hottest up and coming artists. We discuss topics, social and political relevance, and deliver our sideways take on the world at large. If stand up comedy, NPR, the Millennium Falcon, and classic MTV had a baby, it would be Thunder Talk. Thunder Talk is part of the ESO Network. Find us at thundertalk.org and on all podcasting platforms. For the week of August 15th, 2019, it's the ESO Network Con Report. Well, there's only one con that's happening. It's upcoming and it's going to be here. Oh, man, we're so close. We're so close. And that is Dragon Con. Don't scare me like that, Mike. It's only a couple weeks away, my man. Oh, and, uh, I'm putting a halt to time. That's it. I'm putting my foot <laughs> down. Ready or not, here it comes. Um, this is the Big Daddy. This is the one that uh, we we love. It's our hometown show, but it's also, you know, it's also one of the best shows. Uh, Dragon Con is amazing. I have been going since 1994, and I haven't missed one yet. And uh, they're always the best time of the year. So I'm I'm really excited to be there. Uh, once again, uh, I will be a guest. Mike is again a guest. So uh, you will see us there on panels. Mike's got, uh, is it a dozen? No, I think I'm going to be settling just about 10. Oh, wow. Okay, 10. Yeah, I'm getting uh, old, so. I will be doing uh, a total right now of four panels, um, and uh, we'll go into the details uh, a little bit later. Right now, there's still a lot of things that are TBA. So, uh, but one thing that's not TBA is that you will find me at a table in the Pop Artist Alley, Comic and Pop Artist Alley, which is located on the fourth floor of the America's Mart, uh, building two, is that right? Yes, sir. So, um, and so, yes, please come by and say howdy, uh, climb up to that fourth floor and, uh, and see me. And if you say you're an Earth Station One listener, I'm just saying might have something to offer you. We'll see. Um, but, uh, I'm not saying, I'm not saying church. I, look, if it was a bar, I'd buy you a drink. It's not a bar. So, uh, so I'll have to make do. But, but next week we'll tell you where you can find us at a bar and you'll be able to buy, have Mike Gordon buy you a drink. Possibly. Possibly. Uh, so, uh, but Mike and I are not the only ESO network folks going to be there. No, sir. There's also going to be several other uh, shows on the network represented, including, I believe, the Nerd Bliss folks are going to be there. Is that correct, Mike? Yes, sir. Um, I know both Chris and uh, Tina? Tina will be there. So awesome. I think that'll be awesome. Yeah. And then, okay, go ahead. Oh, I know the cigar nerds will be there. They're always there, man. They're like, I think they've been going maybe more than any other, other n- network folks. Maybe. Possibly. Is that true? Is that true? I think so. Uh, Kevin actually from the Flopcast will be there. Um, and, uh, and he's been going pretty long time too. So. Yes. I know uh, the Felicity will be there too. And he's got the mayor with him. Yeah, I think that goes every other year, right? Yeah, she exactly. wasn't there last year, so she is there this year. That's how that works. 
Yes. Uh, we just got to get cornflake down here, man. We need some, we need some dragon con water aerobics. I think that'd be kind of cool to see. That's what we need. I would, I would sign up for water aerobics if we can get uh, cornflake to come down and do that. The thing is a lot of times the pools are closed to dragon con except for the Sheraton, but we're not talking about that one right now. Not, not at all. Not at all. Um, who else? Uh, um, from, actually from, from a surprising, uh, entry, Nicole Mazza from Terminus is going to be there. That's amazing. She doesn't usually like Dragon Con because of the crowd situation. But if there's something that's going to bring Nicole out uh, and about, it's David Tennant. Oh, yeah, very much so. Uh, Nathan Laws is going to be there from the 42 cast. Absolutely. He doesn't get a chance to come down here that often either. So it's going to be great to see. You know, I've never met him, actually. You've never met Nathan? I've never met Nathan. Uh, so this will be an opportunity for me to meet Nathan for the first time, I hope. Uh, so, cause last time when he came down for Dragon Con for somehow our paths did not cross. Yeah. You know, it's the thing though, is, you know, with Nathan, you talk to him and then his podcast, when you talk about him talking about you won't come out for six months. So it's awesome. That's true. That's absolutely true. And we also have another, uh, ESO network show person that's coming down this will be his first ever dragon con well he's coming the furthest distance too <laughs> he's coming from the great white north sorry i had to do that sorry sorry sean off, eh? yeah but uh sean vanderloo who hosts not one but two podcasts on the eso network uh rusted robot and soul forge so uh so he's coming down to play double duty uh exactly Shocked the hell out of us, but he's coming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did I miss anybody? Is anybody else coming? Oh, a couple people, actually. Uh, of course, Dan Clink from the Thunder Talk podcast. Brand new show to the what? network. That's what is that? I don't even know what that is. Yes, you're not supposed to know about it yet. But since we're talking about who's going to be there, a brand new show on the network is going to be represented there. Actually, two new shows from the network are going to be represented because I can honestly say now that also we have another new show called the double edge, double bill podcast joining the network in a week or so. And Thomas Marinari is going to be joining us at dragon con too. I met him there last year and he was part of the reason he started a podcast was he heard me talking about ESO. Wow. That's amazing. And, and you know, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. And, you know, for people who don't normally, normally skip this segment because they're not about conventions, well, guess what? You just missed two big announcements for the ESO network. Exactly. See? Two. Two new shows. <laughs> so, and we also have many, many, many friends of the station. Guess oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Mary Ogle from Earth Station Who will be there. That's awesome. How can we ever forget Mary? Air Station Who crew back together. That's going to be awesome. She's she's great fun, and we will be on a panel together. Yes, we're going to be, be doing Air Station Who panel. Exactly. It's always fun to get all of us in the same room together. A lot of times we just talk over Skype or now Zoom, and we just talk, and no faces are included. So this will be great. We actually get to see and hear and see facial expressions, and that even makes it even more special. Yes, we will be rigged. For those people who may not be able to make it to Dragon Con, worry not, because we will be recording everything. So, uh, always be recording. Exactly. You know, the, the Faber's motto 
Director Faber's motto is always be recording. And so we will be recording every panel that we're on. Uh, now, some of those might be only, most of them will probably be only Patreon releases. So if you're a patron, which we hope you are, we love you if you are, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to listen to um, to listen to those panels that we're going to be on. Even if you are going to be at Dragon Con, and for some reason you're going to miss our panels because, oh, I don't know, there's a hundred other cool things going on, which is just a problem that Dragon Con has, which is a good problem to have, but it's a problem nevertheless. Um, so we understand. We get it. That's why we record these things, and that's why we make them available to you afterwards. Exactly. So it's pretty cool, and you know, we will give you information as it comes out. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so yes, if you're coming to Dragon Con, let us know. Uh, we've got one more episode of the Dragon Con Con Report that's coming out in about a week, week and a half. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that or your ears peeled for that. Um, and thank you, everybody, who's already reached out to us to let us know what you're looking forward to because we've got a lot of emails and responses, audios that we're going to actually play and read uh, during that. Uh, so you're going to fi- hear from a whole bunch of people as to what they're looking forward to this year at Dragon Con. It's going to be a blast. So that's an episode you don't want to miss. And again, thank you for everybody for participating. Thanks everybody for, um, you know, putting up with all this Dragon Con nonsense. If you're not going to Dragon Con, we really appreciate it. And uh, if there's a convention other than Dragon Con that you want us to promote, participate in, or just rave about, please contact us because we love talking about conventions even if they're not Dragon Con. Yeah, but it does count. <laughs> well, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank Darren for hosting this one. Oh, you're welcome, my darlings. It was wonderful. It was so much fun. Judy and I were watching the movie and just cracking up the whole movie. That's a hilarious movie. You should go watch it. If you're out there in internet land, go watch this movie this weekend. Go. Go. I command it. Go live. Live. Well, okay. Anything you want to shout out about, my friend? Um, Dragon Con. (laughs) And I'll be Drunk Dazzler. So if you find me, (laughs) you'll know it's me. You'll be dazzling everyone. I'll probably be there on Saturday night as Dazzler. Saturday during the day and night. Awesome. Until the makeup wears off. I was going to say, I which... think I might have to go to the. Aren't we having a dinner Saturday night? Yes, so, we are. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably be Dazzler at dinner and then go change. Which version of Dazzler are you doing? Early Dazzler? Disco Dazzler, yeah. Oh. So you're wearing <laughs> a crystal ball around your neck and oh, everything? Totally. Awesome. Totally. Can't wait to see it. Cannot Indeed. wait. That will be a ton of fun. I hope so. And Sabrina, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, are you going to bleach your hair for Dazzler? No, I've got a wig. Oh, man. Cause, you cause bleach your hair. My, my hair is going to be black because I'm doing Bouncing Boy. Uh, oh, I am so proud of you. Because uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a round boy right now, so I figure I might as well cosplay round. You know, so. I, lean into it. Lean into it. Exactly. My Chuck I, is in the Legion, and so that guy's got somebody to cosplay. Thank, well, now they've got Thor. So that's true. That. That's true. There's that. But now We're fat bearded that... guys have somebody too. <laughs> the Thorbowskis are going to be in <laughs> the house. I have a feeling. So <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I'm pretty sure I, they are going to be the new Deadpool's folks. So just prepare yourselves for the Thorbowskis. <laughs> I can see it. 
I can I know. Oh, don't worry, we will be seeing it. Jokes, lots and lots of swinging hammer jokes. Right. <laughs> Sabrina, anything you want to shout out about? Uh, no, not really. Uh, thank you for having me, and uh, <laughs> I will. I will forever be grateful to this film because, yes, it really does carry a wonderful philosophical message, and one that I embraced and that has made my life infinitely better for it. And as Darren said, if you watch the film, look for the message within it. And I think that if you embrace it, you can be exponentially happier in your life. Indeed. That is, that is a great way to think. I love it. Mm-hmm. That is really awesome. Mr. Mike, thank you as always. And as always, it's my pleasure. You made it through another one, my friend. Anything you want to shout out about? Uh, I do. I do got to give a shout out to a good friend of the station, artist Robert Jimenez. Uh, he has done uh, lots of work. Uh, he's the, he did uh, the cover for Tiki Zombie number three. He did the cover to volume three of the Earth Station One Tales of the Station. So uh, he's got a new project that's currently on uh, Kickstarter. It's a trading card set called Fearsome Weirdos. Uh, it's very much inspired by classic horror movies as well as uh, like garbage pail kids, that kind of uh, sort of uh, element to it. It's really, really a fun series. I recommend everybody check it out. That cool. is awesome. Very good. The cover he did for the Earth Station One book last year was just blew me away. It was so awesome, and we got to get that made into a poster. I think, Mikey. Yeah, he's yeah. That's that was great. He does great work. So, like I said, check it out. Definitely, definitely. My shout out real quick goes out to the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Is here. And man, this was an interesting season. I'm not really going to talk about it. I just wanted to do a shout out to it because we're going to be reviewing it in a couple weeks up here on the station. So it should be a ton of fun to talk about. And I'm looking forward to it. Judy and I watched it. I think we sat and watched the whole season in one sitting it was just that much fun and mm-hmm. you know it was good to see and you know i'm thinking more and more mark Marin is looking like stanley you know it's just, right uh, yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's like if they ever do a biopsy like a middle-aged stanley they need to have mark as it it's just like wow i was just impressed as heck and it was cool to see so with that being said, we are done. Of course, as we like to say, you know, if you've enjoyed our show, please write us, please subscribe to us, please leave feedback up on any of the, you know, places you listen to the show. We would so really appreciate it. We love you guys. And hopefully, you know, any suggestions, if you want to hear more of Darren, if you want to hear more of Sabrina, if you want to have more topics nobody ever really wants to hear more of me let's be realistic <laughs> hey, i'm trying to be <laughs> nice Sabrina. My thing and they go who was that <laughs> hey you're always fun to have around it's always great truth and of course we will be back again next week when we are going to be looking at the 50th anniversary of woodstock that's right folks the age of aquarius is here and we're going to be talking all about the mud pit that was Bethel, New York, or as we like to call it, Woodstock. It was a lot of fun to be there. And, you know, I'll talk about my what I remember, what I don't remember, or the pictures that I saw. So it should be a lot of fun. Until then, my name is Mike Faber. I will see you here next time on the Air Station One podcast. Peace. And we're done.
Yay! Hey. Messenger going off there. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.